Listener supported. WNYC Studios. So many white guys. So many. So many white guys. So white. How much whiteness? Welcome to So Many White Guys from WNYC Studios. Just kidding. That's not how I talk, you guys. Welcome to So Many White Guys, YQYE. It's me, Phoebe, and my producer, the white Robin Quivers, Johnny Mitch. Hi, hi, hi. <laughs> that, was, that was the most urban you've ever sounded. <laughs> hi, 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 hi. Hi. <laughs> okay, boo-boos, here is the tea, the Lipton tea. Pour some honey in it or agave sugar or syrup or fucking, I was going to say polenta, but no, it's Splenda. <laughs> Pour polenta into your fucking tea. Anyway, the point is, I've got a freaking double header for you today, okay? I've got two sexy-ass guests and one sexy-ass show. Two for the price of what? Two to tango. Ow. Ooh, double (laughs) trouble. (laughs) Up first, it's my buddy... And friend of Two Dope Queens, John Early. Yay! Okay, so you might know John from the Netflix show, The Characters, or the TBS show, Such Party, or from Touring the Country with his stand-up, okay? That's the first guest. Can you handle that? Can you handle it? I can't hear you. Hello? I can handle it. Thank you. Next up, our second guest, Ah. Uh, my brother from another mother. I, of course, am talking about Baron Vaughn, who you guys heard co-host an episode of Two Dope Queens in season two, which is very exciting. Baron once slept on my couch, and now he's in two Netflix shows. How many shows are you in on Netflix? None. Well, he's in two because he's hogging it all, okay? He's on Grace and Frankie and the reboot of Mystery Science Theater 3000. Ooh, ooh. Wait, wait, wait. Hold up. Joanna? Uh-huh? Is Netflix, like, sponsoring this podcast or whatever? Not that I know of. Okay, well, can you get on that? Like, that seems like an oversight. Yeah, see, that's, like, not really my job. Because uh, I'm just so focused on like getting the show made, but um, I can send an email to Hal and he he take care of the sponsorship stuff. Okay, so are you going to handle it? I'll send an email. Joanna, you uh, always send these emails. I don't know where they go. Are they in your spam filter? <laughs> you should be getting my emails. They're from limpdick69 at <laughs> hotmail.com. <laughs> Are those getting caught in your spam? Yes, they are. I'm going to go look up Lipdick. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get to these interviews. I'm so excited. They're two of my favorite human beings. Are you ready, Joni? So ready. Ooh. Ooh. Oh, my God. Okay, John. Hey, Phoebs. Bowman. Mm-hmm. Early. Yeah, yeah. <gasps> I'm literally, I'm so happy you're here. I mean, you are just so, the energy you emanate is like, it's just infectious. I want to be around it. Oh, man. I live because of it. I die over it. (laughs) So wonderful. Peace, Phoebe. You you went too soon. I did. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. But I'm happy that you're here. And we met. I can't remember how many years ago, but it was after Creek in the Cave. We did some, yes. like, whatever show. And you had this bit about how you used to do, like, a Tony Collette fan site. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> and I was just like, oh, my God, she's so fun and yeah. so special and so different. And then, like, now you've, like, blown up with How <sighs> American Summer, the characters on Netflix, and then now the new show that you're in, uh, mm-hmm. Search Party for TBS, which is, like, such an amazing 
director comedy. Yeah, it's so good. I think it's a hit. It is a hit. I think people really like it. Yeah, it's getting like a lot of rave reviews, which I think is awesome. And you're so multi-talented. Like you're funny. You're all these things. I love, I loved the characters in particular because of your impression work. Thank you. But then you also on the opposite end, you do, I think now like a legendary. Uh oh. Britney Spears impression. <laughs> like literally, everyone loves it. It's like, do I retire it? <laughs> I don't think you can because I'm going to have you do it right now. No. <laughs> John, it's like literally one of my favorite things about oh, you. Oh, and you, it's, you're so sweet. Like performance wise, not as like Thank a person. You. Like there are Thank you. better things about you than like your impressions. I appreciate. It. Yeah. I appreciate. It. <laughs> um, no, I yeah, my Britney people love the Britney. Yeah. I love the Britney. I remember doing that in high school, and like w- my friends never laughed. What? Like, I was, like, doing it alone in my bathroom, and then I would, like, debut it at, like, lunch. And I was like, <laughs> why is no one laughing? I was like, and it's, it's yeah. I'm so happy I held on to that, because I was like, I know this is funny. Yeah. They're just being haters. <laughs> they were. Yeah. I mean, I honestly think they were threatened by the accuracy. Yeah. Because <laughs> you grew up in Tennessee, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, but what about Brittany for you excites you to impersonate her? Like, you know. Well, I mean, like, vocally, I just find it so funny that, like, there's so much effort and like she gets it sucks because like she gets accused of being a bad singer Mm -hmm. and like she's obviously not like a super proficient live singer but by the way what pop stars doing full choreography are i mean lip syncing is just something that is done Mm -hmm. we we accept it as you know it's part of the social contract of seeing a pop star you know but like to me it's so funny that like she doesn't have to do what she's doing because it's not like that's her natural voice. Right. Like there's no way when she's just singing alone, she's like, (laughs) like you can hear it. She's like pushing it down so hard. She's like, first, (laughs) that's step one is literally just like farting out of her throat. Like, and then after that, when the note like finally comes free, she's still clamping down that like, Like she's like sick and like pissed off. And like it's so funny to me because you can hear the effort and it's like what would happen if she just like didn't do that? Like what would her real voice be? But anyway, anyway, so that's what I find so funny about her vocally. But then of course I'm totally like like all of us who kind of grew up loving her unironically Mm -hmm. and then watched her, you know, as we came of age, we watched her come of age and like be really, really tortured and, mm-hmm. like, um, you know, she wanted to get out of this position that she did not choose at all. And, yeah. like, like so many women who are, like, basically sexualized by, like, the entertainment industry, they're then blamed for being whores. It's, like, yeah. it makes no sense. No, but it, it is true because it's, like, I do think that a lot of times, like, we just forgive men for bad behavior yeah. we don't for women we don't for women yeah. and like and then and how can you even be mad at britney and first of all like what bad behavior it's just it's literally that she was you know scantily clad by, yeah and by, she looks great she looks fucking great yeah oh sorry and you she can curse on okay this. And you bleep it out no there we leave it in it's raw Ooh, baby god i love public radio <laughs> <laughs> why am i horny all of a sudden um but, uh, yeah, whatever, Britney. Yeah, and what's your, like, go-to when you want to impersonate her? Like, what's the song that you love to do the most? Well, why don't you choose? Well, I think my favorite Britney song, she has so many good songs. Like, people forget that. Yeah, and you go back to her catalog, and you're like, this is, like, great pop and music. And some of her recent songs. I yeah. mean, like, there are, like, a few songs on each of these new albums that are really good. Yeah. Um, I'm a Slave for You is one of my favorite Britney ones. Are you asking me to sing it? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> How old was she when she shot that video? I think she was like early twenties. That's horrifying. I remember like still being kind of on the border sexuality wise when that video was out. Oh, like being okay. like being like I'm bi. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right? for like a week. Yeah, <laughs> and I remember being like, because and people were like, who do you think is hot? And I'd be like Britney Spears, because like that's what everyone was saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, yeah. And that video to me would like prove it to me that I thought she was hot. But it's literally just because it's like sweat and skin and yeah. like you know and like choreography. <laughs> yeah, it's like my vagina moves to that a little bit. Absolutely, and like, I'm straight. Like all yeah, that. I know so great. it's so sexy. Okay, okay, here we go. I know I may be young, but I've got feelings too. <laughs> and I need to do what I feel like doing. So let me go 
and just listen. I people look at me like I'm a little girl. Everything can be okay. To live well. I say a little girl, don't step to the crowd. I'm just trying to end the eye. What I love. Get it, get it, get it, get it. Oh, get it, get it, get it, get it. Oh, get it, get it, get it, get Thank you. That was so good. It was good, right? That it was, was really good. Thank you so much for doing that. Thank I'm, you, I'm sure you're going to be like, you're going to hit 40. You're going to be like, if someone asks me to fucking do this impression again, you're going to like lose it. I know, but I, yeah. I do, like, I have been doing it so much recently. I'm like, what is the next step for that impression? Right. And I think it's like, I think I need a grand piano. <gasps> and I think I do every time. Ooh, I love that. But I'm not playing the piano. <laughs> 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 that's the trick. I love that. That's fantastic. Okay, so let's, just in case people aren't super familiar with you, mm-hmm. let's do like the John Early, Early story. Okay, great. So you grew up in Tennessee. Grew up in Tennessee. And both of your parents are ministers. They're ordained ministers, not anymore. I mean, oh, they still, you okay. know, are ordained. So they yes. can still, they still do weddings, funerals, yeah. like guest preach all the time. But they don't, they don't have yeah. like full-time churches anymore. What's it like to grow up in a household where like religion is pretty prominent well i was really lucky to have minister parents who were very like theological they like went to divinity school that's where they met they went to vanderbilt divinity school it's very sweet oh my god that's so cute it's really cute yeah and you know like al gore went there there was like it was in the 70s and vanderbilt is like one of the more liberal southern schools like Mm -hmm. they they were really like my parents are really smart and like there wasn't ever any sense of there wasn't any evangelizing going on. I never mm-hmm. had – they never put any pressure on me to, like, believe anything. I mean, they took me to church. They liked that it was, like, a community for me, like, that I could make friends there. And there were, like, other adults who cared about me, there, you know. But, like, the second I started, like, coming into myself and being like, I don't believe. <laughs> like, you're just, yeah. like, singing hymns, sitting down, sharing the joys and concerns, you know. So, anyway, they were very, very cool about – like, the second I started kind of questioning it, they they, like, admired it. They're like, oh, they're like, good for you. He has, you know, so I was really, really lucky in that regard. That's amazing. Yeah. And they're very, you know, because they went to school for it, they're like always kind of talking about things critically. They're never talking about it in like a manipulative way. They're not like, they just weren't abusive. Yeah. (laughs) Thank God. That's great. So I want to read a quote from an interview you did with Maxim about growing up around religion. You said, I think as a gay kid that you're inherently more interior, protected by your introspection. And you said that you were able to protect yourself from your exposure to Christianity that way. So can you just like talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. Yeah. I think that is the the, the gift, I think, of being when you when you wake up into the world and you're like, well, something's off. Like I don't mm. I don't have the same set of desires that I'm supposed to have from what I'm seeing in popular culture and mm. and the adults in my life. And then you just kind of as a I think as a protective measure, you just kind of go inward. Mm. And it's though it can be very isolating, though it can take years to um, come out of that mm-hmm. or to um, learn how to like be among people. I think it does provide gay people like a really like. I think they're really, um, you know, all really marginalized people. I feel like can have like a stronger sense of introspection because of it. And like there were, though my congregation was really liberal, though my parents were really liberal, I was going to like Christian camps every now and then. And like I, you would occasionally run into kind of some very conservative Christian people. And I think I just knew very early on that I didn't trust something like outside of me and I could only really trust myself. And so I was like, I just kind of stayed inside and it really helped. It really, really helped. Yeah. I wasn't very conscious of what I was doing, but Mm -hmm. I was like, I was like, I'm just going to stay inside (laughs) and and I'll come out like later. Yeah. And so you, okay. So you grew up in Tennessee and then when did you move to New York? When I was 18. Oh, me too. (laughs) Yeah. For college. Yeah. Where'd you go? Pratt Institute. Oh, cool. Yeah. Where'd you go to school? I went to NYU. Oh, yeah. See, I tried to get into NYU, and they were like, LOL, you're great. <laughs> <laughs> For writing? Yeah. Right. My, my, I just I was a slacker in high school. I think I had like a C minus average because I just honestly did not give a shit. Yeah. And they were just like, no, we're yeah, NYU. Yeah. We yeah, can't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I went to the, the drama program at NYU. Wow. Yeah. 
Wow. Yeah. And what was that like? Was it just you're surrounded by a lot of people who are maybe trying too hard or like oh, what yeah. is it? Ex- oh, okay. Yeah. Well, there yeah. are a lot of people just in general. Like uh, it's a very big program. Mm-hmm. And um, and also it's like you're 18. So like everyone literally like three months prior to like the first day of school was doing like their high school production of Sweeney Todd. <laughs> You know what I mean? With like with yeah. like a nude head mic like yeah. taped to their forehead <laughs> and like parents like sobbing and clapping for them. So like there is like people come into the NYU program or to any like program where you're eighteen years old and suddenly they're thrust into these like hyper serious programs. Um like I went to the Atlantic Theater Company, which was very serious. It's like David Mammoth's yeah, theater yeah. school and like uh it's very much about like discipline and doing the work and analyzing the text before you even start to try to act, you know. And uh, I had like really, really smart teachers who I just basically the biggest thing I took away was just like the opportunity for three and a half years to just talk about art. I feel like training wise, it's really hard for someone to actually change yeah. <laughs> in like an acting program. Yeah. You know. And so I know you're acting now, but then at some point you made the transition to stand up. Yes. Yeah. So what inspired you? I know you've like talked about in the past that like you've idolized women in comedy. Yeah. And that's been an influence to you. So what specifically about women in comedy like influenced you and what made you decide, that, oh, I want to get into stand up? Well, the women thing, I mean, I just think it's a classic kind of gay thing of like you're just not really included in masculinity. And so women when you see women being funny mm-hmm. on television it's like i'm sorry what it's like yeah it seems so punk rock like it just seems so like yeah. rebellious mm-hmm. for like a woman to be like wild on tv and so i yeah. think they and also women are like your protectors like women were my friends when i was young mm-hmm. like my girlfriends were the ones who like made me feel safe so like i obviously why would i have gone to television and why would i've sought men out mm-hmm. to like relate to or like idolize you know so like i i absolutely just only was interested and kind of still am only i'm only interested in funny women i'm like learning more and more that like some men are funny (laughs) (laughs) but i always forget who i think is funny when when people ask me what men i like i'm like oh no yeah um so if you live in new york you know that you you have your show showgasm i mean unfortunately i know because you're moving to la you're a trader it's fine okay well i have to for a job i mean i get it but it's also like you could just you know said no sure but (laughs) you you you're in the drag world and i feel like a lot of your drag is character based Mm -hmm. which i think is really cool because i think a lot of people who aren't familiar with the drag world only really know of it being like really fishy or like Mm -hmm. trying to be the most exaggerated version of a woman and Mm -hmm. i think what's great about drag is that like any other art form it's constantly evolving and there's all these there's goth drag and there's like all this kind of stuff that's really cool and happening and so i'm wondering like when you started to enter that space where were you coming at it from well i always wanted to like just from a like an snl Mm -hmm. perspective i always like my the the women i loved on snl like those characters that they played dressing up as a woman was always just that Mm -hmm. it was like me doing a sherio terry character you know So it was always, to me, more about just, like, these are the comedic characters I want to play, and a lot of them happen to be women. Yeah, I really like that. I know when you um, you talked about how sometimes it's harder, like, gay audiences are harder than non-gay audiences. Yeah. But what, like, what do you mean by that? Well, I think gay people don't know how to make art about themselves. I think, like, hmm. I think gay people like to, understandably, they like to watch, like me, they like to watch women being funny, mm-hmm. um, or they like to watch art about women. And then as soon as they get the opportunity to put themselves front and center, it either becomes, like, immediately, like, sexual. Because that's the other thing, too, is I think gay guys, when there's a gay entertainer on stage, suddenly there's sexuality involved, which is, mm. like, foreign. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what I'm learning, is, like, gay men like women female performers because there's no sexual energy like potentially like dangerous sexual energy or like to like muddy it it's like such a clear relationship it's like i'm not gonna look at you in a sexual way most men look at you in a sexual way and objectify you i'm looking at you i'm worshiping you i'm like Mm. i'm i respect you for your mind and your talent you know Mm -hmm. and there's something very clarifying about that and then i think when there's like a gay performer on stage for gay audiences, suddenly they're like, but wait, am I supposed to be attracted to you? Or am I supposed to... 
normally I laugh at people who don't make me hard. <laughs> you know, yeah, so like there's, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying I make anyone hard, I Phoebe. I mean, you okay? do. I'm a cow. <laughs> you are not. You are stunning. <laughs> you are blonde. You have a great personality. I can't even Thank deal. you. Thank you. Shush, shush. Okay. But, but no, I do think that people just are still trying to figure that out. Mm-hmm. And I'm still trying to figure it out. But sometimes like if I'm a guest on like a gay show and it's like full of gay people, mm-hmm. I feel this weird like something like shuts off and I feel this like weird coldness or like and then there's also like super cool like kind of like normcore gay guys who I feel like have never liked me or my comedy yeah. and like I don't, I don't know yeah could all be in my head no I mean there's probably some I mean I feel the same way like all black audiences sometimes there's just like yeah you feel pressure to like be really good because you're amongst people who look like you yeah. and so there's just this you know I'm sure I'm sure anyone who's not in a marginalized group, like just a, a hetero straight yeah. guy, like doesn't have that sort of like, they have to be, oh, well, I'm in a, a room full of white people. Right, like, right. what do huh? I do? What yeah, do I, where I'm yeah. like, oh, I don't want people to feel that I'm like not black enough or I'm right. this or I'm that or, right. you know, all that sort of stuff. That's like really, yeah, it's difficult. And yeah, I think the work that you're doing is important. Thank I think it's you. necessary. And yeah, I just, I cannot wait to see what you do next. I'm Baby. like, and I'm like, it's mutual, honey. I know. I'm sad that you're moving to LA, but I will come visit you. I'm gonna be here all the time, baby. I'm I just, know, I can't. You say that now, but you're not. Now you listen up. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much for popping in. We could have just talked for hours. I know. And I hours. could go on. Yeah. Let's go. Do you want to go to the cozy on 12th Street and <laughs> Broadway and get a bread bowl? Let's do it. I love cozy. <laughs> oh my god, it's so cute. Okay. Well, Thanks, thank you Phoebe. so much. I love you. Love you. Okay, bye. John or Ellie, so good. Phoebe's? Oh, okay, so Phoebe's not here. She was supposed to be here 10 minutes ago, and we've only got 20 minutes left in the studio, so guess old Joni's just going to have to move this along herself. Uh, Great interview with John early. So fun. So funny. Uh, Next up, we've got Baron Vaughn. Um, I guess I'm going to be Phoebe for a second. Uh, hi! Are you ready for some sausage? We've got my brother from another mother, Baron Vaughn! So put your hands together for this sexy piece of man meat. YQI. Do I sound like Phoebe? This is why I'm not the host. Well, I am so happy you're here. This is literally a reunion. Is it a reunion? Okay. It is. It's a totes a reunion because, <laughs> yeah, because you did Two Dope Queens season two. That's true. Yeah, which was amazing. Two DQs. Yeah. Yes, and now you're on So Many White Guys season two. That's right. Doing it. This is a. I'm. Thank you for being here. That's right. They, when when things get to season two. <laughs> I'm second on the list. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm excited that you're back in you're back in town because mm-hmm. you're based out of LA. And why are you here? Why are you gracing lovely New York with your presence? Well, I'm here for the Mystery Science Theater 3000 <gasps> premiere. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Full disclosure. Okay. You can disclose. I have never seen that show. That's fine. A lot of people haven't. So what is it about? It was uh, hugely popular in the late 80s, early 90s. It was on the beginning of Comedy Central, like early Comedy Central, before it was Comedy Central even. So the premise of it is a man is kidnapped in space, of Mm -hmm. course, and he's held prisoner on a spaceship by mad scientists who force him to watch bad movies. Oh, that's cute. They're trying to drive him insane. And he's alone, so he makes friends out of spare parts, and he makes two robot friends that watch the movies with him, and he hangs out with them. Oh, that's kind of real. <laughs> you know? It's very it's very uh, prescient. Yeah. Because yeah. that's, that's definitely where we're headed as a we're society. We're so headed there. Yeah. And now, you know, because now we can just hang out with Siri if we want. How are you, Siri? I'm fine. That's what she usually <laughs> says. So we're reunited. This is mm-hmm. amazing. Cause it feels on, so good. Yeah. Yes. You were on season two of Two Dope Queens. And we talked about, you know, your relationship status. My relationship status. Right, your, right, your, right. And I'm Soup's Minaj. <laughs> 
Yeah, soups and dogs. And you are polyamorous. Yeah, yeah, okay. Is that still... Is that still? Is that still your status? Well, let me put it this way. Um, you can be an atheist and still be with somebody who's a believer. Okay, so you could be polyamorous. I think what you're saying is you could be polyamorous and then be in a monogs yeah, relationship. Because look, and this is a this is a matter of debate because the community of polyamorous people can't actually agree on this. Mm. It's sort of like any label. There is no one definition for it. Mm -hmm. And anybody that falls under a label will say, well, I am not like this other person who falls under this label. So you can't. We're not a monolith. Right. We're not all the same. So the thing about poly people, that's the that's the nickname, you know, because you got to you got to save time when you're dating so many people. You can't even have time to say amorous. I, I, I got I to gotta get to my other date. This is, uh, I am Joey polyamorous. How you doing over here? So, yeah. I got a wife. We got a girlfriend. Don't worry about it. Uh, that's an impersonation of a, a, a polyamorous person from Bensonhurst. Anyway, um, so I, I, it's like an idea. You know, it's yeah. a way of thinking of things. But some people think that you aren't polyamorous unless you're practicing it. Mm. And I'm not practicing it. That doesn't mean that I've stopped thinking the way that I'm thinking. I've just made a certain decision for myself right now. And my decision is to be with a person who wants to be monogamous. Yeah. What made you want to be polyamorous? Well. Because you didn't always. You used to be in monogamous, like strictly monogamous relationships. Yeah, but, you know, I, I've been thinking about these things for a really long time. So mm-hmm. before we met, yeah, I was in a monogamous relationship, but. Before that, I had been thinking about what polyamory was. I just didn't know what it was called oh, because I okay. didn't know it existed. It was just ideas I had that I had no idea that there are so many books written about it. There's whole communities. There's workshop. There's all this language that mm-hmm. uh, people have developed for it that I didn't have. I just understood that um, it was ridiculous to ask everyone to do one thing. Right. That's not a knock on monogamy. It's Mm -hmm. a knock on culturally enforced monogamy. Mm. That everyone is expected to be the same way. And if you're not, something's wrong with you as opposed to something is wrong with the box everyone's trying to fit into. Right. That's the way that I always looked at it. Yeah. So it was kind of like I had questions about why that was the main form of a relationship, why everyone expects so much out of it. And that's the biggest thing for me is people expect so much out of it, out of one person. Mm. Not to say that that's necessarily wrong, but most of the time it leads to a murder. So... Okay, well, that's – no, I think this is, like, really cool to, like, talk about it because I think the more people – We haven't really like, ever talked about right. it that much, that much. Right, and because and, and, we've, like, butted heads in the past yeah, about because, it. So, no, but it's good that we can, like, talk about it now. But, but the reason yeah. is because – the reason we butted heads is because I was on my high horse. Yeah. It's, it's honestly what oh it is. Oh, my gosh. Oh, it feels so good to hear you, like, admit your flaws. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I was, for me to be right. I was on a superiority <laughs> complex in a lot of ways. Yeah. But now I'm 10 years older. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm calmer. Yeah. But definitely back then I was like um, really sensitive about mm-hmm. it. And, and anybody who challenged me, I was like, you haven't thought about it the way. Like it's just kind of like – but that's, that's different than listening. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> now I want to switch gears real quick. OK. Because you're on wonderful show on Netflix. You have so many shows coming out. So you're on another show for Netflix mm-hmm. called Grace and Frankie. And it is season three, four? Season three is coming out, yes. Which is very exciting. Congratulations. Why, thank you. Um, for the people who don't know, what character do you play on the show? Um, the name of my character is Bud, mm-hmm. which is a an abbreviation for Nwabu DK, which is uh, actually, uh, I believe, a Nigerian name, but Bud for short because I'm adopted by white people. Um, so they named me something that they can't say all that much. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's like what Madonna does. Oh, is it? I'm sure. Complex name, but I'm going to call you this for short. Yeah. So I seem cool. So um, Lily Tomlin plays your adopted yes, mom. Yes, Lily, is- Lily Tomlin and Sam Waterston, uh, native New Yorker himself mm-hmm. as well. So, yeah, it's if you haven't seen the show, uh, two seasons of it are streaming on Netflix right now, and the third season comes out March 24th, which they just announced. So Ooh. coming out soon, yeah. Yeah. And then also... The the premise of the show is um, two women, played by Lily Tomlin and Jane Fonda, who are actually 
good friends and have been for like 40 years or mm-hmm. something like that, have been married for 40 years and then find out that their husbands have been having an affair with each other for 20 and then their husbands announce that they're gay and leave them for each other and it kind of blows their lives up. Yeah. It's about starting over when you've been around. <laughs> and so the show, the cast is mostly white. You're the only person of color on the show. Yeah. And I have recently been feel I've, I've been getting invited to more and more events. I'm not like trying to brag. It's just like what happens when you're okay, Braggy Smith. <laughs> where you're in this industry for a while, people start being like, "Oh, I think I vaguely know who you are. You should come to this thing with people way more famous than you who won't talk to you." <laughs> and you're like, "Cool." Um, so I've been doing that, and I've just been like noticing that I'm usually tend to be the only person of color, mm-hmm. and so I've been feeling like I'm done being the only person of color in white spaces. Yes. Yes. But on a show like this, which is dealing with a, not only like queerness, but also starting over and older people, I do feel like there is some complexity to it. And it's not just a kind of typical show about white people. But do you ever feel like, hmm, yeah, I'm the only person of color on the show. And that is, you know, do you have any feelings about that or is it not really? Oh, I have regular? a lot of feelings about that. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I am the only person of color on the show. Mm-hmm. And I feel like sometimes like, you know, they pussyfoot around mm-hmm. around the issue. Because he is culturally white because he was raised by white people. Yeah. So what does that mean? These are the questions that I ask mm-hmm. as an actor playing the role because I have to make it make sense to myself. Mm-hmm. So he is a black person that was raised by affluent white people in an affluent neighborhood. But does that mean that the police know that? Does that mean that when he walks into a corner store that anyone know? oh, his, his shirt's tucked in, I— I think I know what this guy is about. (laughs) Right, right. So it's like those are the questions. And I think about like stuff like when he went to college, where did he go? Mm -hmm. You know, did he have an identity crisis when he was in college? Because when you're black, people will treat you like you're black. And if you have never really had to entertain that in your life as a reality, it might create some sort of confusion. But these are the things that haven't been explored And I don't even know if this is the show that would be able to explore that. Right. Because it is, after all, a sitcom. Yeah. You know, and it's about these characters. It's not called Bud. So I respect that decision. But, you know, every now and then, of course, I feel it. So it's just kind of like, well, there's it's just me. It's just it's just me here. And um, so I look at it like I'm I'm first obviously I'm happy to be involved and Mm -hmm. and I'm doing what I do and I get to play with Lily Tomlin and. And all these great actors who who have loved for a long time, you know, but every now and then I feel like, okay, so, you know, this is not a place where a lot of issues I would like to be able to explore Yeah, in a TV show um, can be explored. Yeah. So you mentioned Lily, mm-hmm. uh, which is great because knowing you, she's one of your comedy influences, mm-hmm. which is amazing uh, for several reasons. One, because she's a genius, duh. But also, it's really nice to hear a male comedian say that he's been influenced by a woman because it's always like Mel Brooks or like Larry David or like Robert Townsend. Like those are great, but it's like there have been so many women who have like done really funny shit and yeah, no yeah, one's ever true. influenced by it. That's true. But let's talk about Mel Brooks and Robert Townsend real quick. No, 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 I'm joking. Um, so what What about her appeal to you? Because I, knowing you as well as I, I do, I feel mm-hmm. like you are very in touch with the masculine and the feminist side of yourself, which is why I think why you are as equally influenced by women and men creatively. I mean, I was raised by two women, my mom and my grandmother, mm-hmm. right? So... In a way, and I guess I look at it in a sort of a way that, you know, we live in a man's world. We live in a patriarchy. And, um, and I feel like women have all the emotional understanding. <laughs> mm. So when I have looked for comedy that is expressing complex emotionality, it's usually women that are doing that comedy. And so Lily Tomlin, um, to me, well, I used to watch Laugh-In when I was a kid which they used to play on Nick at Night, <laughs> like reruns. Yeah. And so I noticed that this was the only person, you know, who usually had a solo bit. Like most of Laughing was sketches, mm-hmm. but when it was Lily Tomlin, it was like her as one character and one person, and she could hold the whole audience with that one character. And I was like, what? How is that? How do you do that? So her approach to doing characters and what it is she looked for 
in, if, that she thought was funny about a person was really influential on me. So Ernestine was one of her characters mm-hmm. that she did was a telephone operator. And uh, on set one day I told her that how much I loved Ernestine and it was very important to me. And then she did the snort, which is part of Ernestine's laugh. Yeah. And I almost cried. I was like, oh. I, like, I, I learned in that moment, like, uh-oh, this was really important. <laughs> yes, that's very funny. <laughs> oh, I wouldn't be here <laughs> if it wasn't for you. And then Michael McDonald came out and sang. <laughs> oh, little Tomlin, what else you gonna do? So anyway, um, yeah, I, I, Michael McDonald, if you're listening <laughs> to this, can you please do a duet with Barry Vaughn doing you? Because I'd be brilliant. Oh yeah. <laughs> So many white guys, <laughs> you got a show to me. All right, all right. Um, <laughs> okay, so people who don't know you as well as I do, mm-hmm. um, you actually started out doing stand-up 12, 13 years ago? 15. 15 years ago. So would you say that Lily is kind of like the reason that you got into stand-up? A lot of those people when I was a kid, all the different comedy that I was watching, I was taking it in, but I didn't know that stand-up was a thing that I could actually do until I was in college. Mm-hmm. And then so... At, you went to BU, I right? went to Boston University, yeah. that's right. So I um, went to an open mic finally, and then I saw comedians I'd never heard of killing it. Mm. And I was like, oh, okay, so you can actually be really good and... Uh, and it doesn't matter. Yeah. Oh, I got you. Yeah. And so you you mentioned that you grew up in Nevada, Las Vegas, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is kind of cray because you never meet anyone from who, Vegas. Yes. Well, you know, I was born in a small town in New Mexico, and then we moved to Vegas when I was probably seven, seven or eight, something like that. And you and your grandma. Me and my mom and my grandmother. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think my grandmother was already there. My mom and I came to join. Mm. And so it was uh, me and her for a while. And then my grandmother, I called her JJ. She moved in at some point. Well, so what is, what is that like to grow up? Because I've only been once and I mm-hmm. went for like a bachelorette weekend. So, you know, it was very. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, let's get some sushi and go see strippers. So it was very much like a. Yeah. Uh, kind of like movie heightened version of what Las Vegas is and yeah. not like actual reality. Yeah, now think about the indie film of what Las Vegas is like. <laughs> it's like Jim Jarmusch. Yeah, and that's <laughs> what I grew up in. Yeah. <laughs> Ghost Dog, but with casinos. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's an interesting place, you know, and, and my childhood there was um, very latchkey. You know, I was, mm-hmm. I was running around a lot, you know, because I was, mom was working. And and I was she was like take care of yourself from three to five I'm like cool uh, do I can I get a key let <laughs> me get a key find the arcades so so your childhood was kind of like a lot of you like watching TV and sort of raising yourself a little bit yeah or? Or babysitting myself mm-hmm. you know and um, and then um, yeah because I watched a lot of comedy mm-hmm. watched a lot of movies a lot of TV so I was kind of taking all these things in mm-hmm. all the time and. Um, yeah, so I mean that's that that kind of being in my head, entertaining myself sort of thing is is the kind of the 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 genesis of what turned me into a comic. Yeah, and so because having a convert, if you guys don't know, having a conversation with Baron is like you have to be on your toes. Really? I don't know. It's like playing tennis with Roger Federer. There's just something where it's like you cannot <laughs> just sleep and like you. I don't. I don't think someone could just have a boring small talk conversation with you. I don't think that would ever happen. Um, and so you're very quick to me. So uh, were you like a nerd growing up? Were you just reading a lot of books? Like what were you like as a kid? Well, thank you for that compliment. I think that's what that was. No, it is. Uh, it's like <laughs> you got to bring like your a conversation with oh, you, which okay. I think is great. Um, yeah, I mean. I never liked the word nerd. It wasn't mm-hmm. a word that I really heard used until I was like in high school. And really it was only in movies. Like I don't remember anyone at high school saying it. So I hated the word nerd. Um, I didn't ever take it as a, as a, as a definition for myself mm-hmm. until later in life where I look back and I go, oh, I clearly was a nerd, but I was like a lonely nerd. So it's like... No, because no, okay, I think okay. I was a lonely nerd too. Yeah, yeah. because like I, I liked what I was... in. Here's the thing about being a nerd. Um, the best thing about being a nerd 
is when you meet other nerds that like the thing that you like because mm-hmm. then you have someone to share it with. Okay. I was interested in things that no other kids around me <laughs> really liked. Like you were trying to talk about laughing. They were like, what? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, hey, yeah. you guys see the latest episode of Patty Duke? <laughs> Sammy Davis Jr. was on it. You know what that means? We're on TV now. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, is, what is that, man? Oh, man, they walk alike. They talk alike. Um, but I liked, I mean, like, because also, like, Robert Townsend, you mentioned Robert Townsend, mm-hmm. and that was somebody who was a big influence on me. So I followed, I continued to follow his career. I was watching as much comedy, anything that I thought was funny. Yeah. And we had cable when I was young. So I could watch HBO, and I could watch Def Comedy Jam very, very softly. <laughs> <laughs> so as to not alert my mother yeah. that I was watching Martin run tell oh that, that special is whew, yeah. it's amazing but it's like yo you cannot watch that with your parent like a hundred feet near you it's, I, yeah i randomly when i was in high school i randomly mark curry had a i mean he had to hang with mr cooper yeah, but then he yeah. had an hbo special that i watched and i i i don't remember i was like 14 or something and somehow i i was like at this thing where mark curry was there mm-hmm. and suddenly i'm standing next to him and he's there with his, I don't know if it's his girlfriend or wife or whatever. And I said to him, hey, man, I watched your HBO special. It was really funny. And she was like, your parents let you watch that? That's what she said. And I said, uh, they didn't know. And he was like, ha, yeah, and gave me a shake. And then that was the only conversation I ever had with him. But it, <laughs> That's cute. But I just remember her being like, how did your parents? And like, they didn't know. That yeah. was the key to my childhood. Um, so... Yeah. <laughs> no, it's cool. I like that. And I like that you embrace, because I, I like things that people don't necessarily like, but I like, I lean into it super hard. Mm. I think that the definition of cool is the I don't care sort of vibe. Mm. It's defensive. It's a wall. When you like something, you actually are being vulnerable. Yeah. Because you're telling people something about yourself. If you never like anything, then no one will ever know what you're about. Mm. And that's the definition of being cool. That's food for thought, babies. <laughs> <laughs> now, can I? I want to talk about uh, another project that you're working on. Okay, documentary for Fusion. Oh yeah. Uh, Speaking of childhood, which is very exciting. I've been with you throughout this whole process, sort of. So I've been like on the phone with you, being like, "Oh my god!" But you recently tracked down. Your birth father. Yes, my biological father. Yes, and you, and that was the subject of your documentary, correct? Yeah, yeah. And so what inspired you to be like, let me, let me figure out this part of my past? Well, you know, um, earlier when I said about, you know, how we used to butt heads about the polyamory discussion, mm-hmm. and I said I was on my high horse, and you're like amazed that I could admit that. These are the things that I have been working on mm. the last couple of years. I have a very complex relationship with my, my own masculinity because I never had a model of mm. how to be. I think that's what most boys' uh, experience of being a man is taught to them by their father. That's one of the first things a father can do is say, a man is this, son. Mm-hmm. And then they kind of ape that. You know, a lot of guys try to be like their dad. Yeah. So been working on that and working on this this part of myself that I never really thought about because people would say, you know, do you miss it? Do you miss him? And I always used to say you can't miss something that you never had. There is no like part of me that's missing. I'm just – it's never been there. Mm-hmm. So I'm whole as I am. However, that doesn't mean that I didn't have questions, especially because – what it is that happened to my mom around my birth, the events around my birth, mm-hmm. I have never been told. I've never known because it was hurtful <clears throat> to her. It was yeah. very hard for her. And they didn't want to tell me because she would have to kind of relive what was hard. Plus, I was a kid and they'll be like, he doesn't understand. He won't understand. Mm-hmm. And then I got older and older. and It was like he still won't understand. And I got older and older and it was just they're not telling me anything. Yeah, it's we talked about the past so little. I didn't even know we weren't talking about the past. I didn't even know you could ask questions about what happened before you were there. Yeah, that anybody ever wanted to talk about it. So that's why I set out, set out on that crazy journey. But were you ever anxious about doing like a documentary? Because I mean, 
then filming this whole process, like there's so much of that you can't control because it involves another person and you don't know how involved he's going to want to be in the documentary. So were you ever kind of anxious about like, maybe this should not be a documentary and something maybe extremely private first and then, or were you just kind of like, I'm just going to go for it and just... Well, yes. I mean, the whole way I was, I had a lot of anxiety. Mm -hmm. I mean, I decided to do this documentary to give myself an excuse to even do this in the first place. Oh, okay. okay. Because maybe I wouldn't have tried to track him down. Mm-hmm. But now that there is a network who's just like, uh, when are you going to do that thing? I was like, oh, I guess I got to gotta deliver something. So yeah. I had to go through with it. But of course, at every step, I'm like, what? maybe this is a bad idea. Mm-hmm. What if he's dead? What if he doesn't want to be in this thing? What if it's going to make my mom go crazy? Like all those things mm-hmm. were happening as I, I was thinking them and feeling them as I was going along and, and my documentary director who was asking me, how do you feel like every single moment? Yeah. And so I was just in it, you know, just trying to be present. But um, yeah, I mean, a lot of those things came up in the process, you know, especially once I knew he was around mm-hmm. and especially once we talked, then it was like he wasn't a concept anymore. He was a person. He yeah. was another person. And then I started being like, well, what if that person doesn't want to be involved in this? And, and, you know, I can hurt that person's feelings. Like suddenly I started being concerned about that, you know. But in the end, it's all good. Like everybody should watch a documentary. It's called Fatherless. It's going to be on Fusion. When? They haven't told me yet. (laughs) (laughs) The future's great. Um, (laughs) Nobody tells anybody anything. Yeah. And so having watched your your performance and your stand-up ever since I've known you, I feel like you you talk about—it just feels more personal in a way. Like you talk about money stuff. Mm -hmm. You talk about, you know, being polyamorous. You've talked about therapy, mm-hmm. which I think is great. And, you know, I'm all about self-help and you're all about therapy. So how do you feel like your evolution or like understanding yourself as a black man has informed your comedy or how has comedy informed your understanding of yourself as a black man? It's like I looked to black men on television to be my father figures. Mm. So ostensibly, I looked to Eddie Murphy and Pryor and you know, um, the Wayneses and Robert Townsend and, and, you know, Martin and Bernie Mac and Chappelle and Chris Rock as father figures and modeled myself in a way after them. So I ended up in the family business in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah. But with that comes, it, it gets really tricky because it's sort of, it's also part of the unholy union of art and entertainment mm-hmm. because what is good to you and what sells aren't necessarily the same thing. And when you're in an industry that is based on selling and people say you need to be something that sells, yeah. it can be very confusing because you're going, but I'm me. Can't we figure out how to get this out there? Mm-hmm. And so I was very confused in a lot of different ways of who it was I was supposed to be on stage or what was expected of me and and ashamed in a way of – what was true to me and what I actually had been through. So I was ashamed to report it or to talk about it in a way because I just didn't feel like anybody would understand, which is usually why people become comedians because we have felt so misunderstood in our lives that we go, no, I'm going to get on a stage every night and explain myself to people that do not know who I am (laughs) for years and years. That's how misunderstood I am because I'm going to go be understood. That's what I'm going to do. So I've just gotten better at saying this is where I am. This is how I feel. This is what I'm dealing with because I have to accept it. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, what else is there? Yeah. Okay, we got to get out of here. Let's close okay. with something like fun and joyful. Like what what is like your happy place or like when's the last time you laugh really hard or what's a musician that you're super into right now that you want everyone else to get? Cuz I'm obsessed with someone new right now. Uh this woman Gavin Turek? Oh yeah. She's amazing. I've heard, I've heard the stuff. She's great. so great. Great stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Don't fight it. Don't fight it. Mm-hmm. Don't fight it. Yeah, it's a good stuff. Yeah. Uh, there's a dude I met. Uh, actually, was a fan of his, and then he was in um, L.A. opening for. Um, oh man, what's her name? That British woman. 
Adele. <laughs> yeah. That, <laughs> Aluna George. Oh. Have you heard of Aluna George? No. She's, she's really interesting. But this guy was opening for her, and I had tweeted his name because I said he was one of my favorites. His name's Xavier Omar. Mm. And he, uh, I think he lives outside of Atlanta. Um, he has a song called Blind Man that was my jam of 2016. Ooh. And it's, uh, it's a fantastic song. He's a great singer. Cool. Well, I'm going to go listen to both of those people on Spotify or Apple Music or Google Play because, you know, I like them all. Tidal, Pandora. Yep. But I always enjoy our conversations. Uh, I think I always learn something every time we talk. And uh, I want. I wish we could keep talking for hours and hours, but... But you can call me later and we can do that. Yeah, we can do that. FaceTime audio, baby. <laughs> it's so crisp. It's it is so, so crisp. crisp. It's super crisp. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much and good luck with all three of your shows. Why, thank you. That's incredible. You're having a, a banner year. Hey, it's like I'm Phoebe Robinson or something. Oh, I see what you did there. Uh-huh. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? I gotta say, I think I like those two mofos. Yeah, but it's like twice as much work, so maybe never again. Oh, it's two first. Oh. Well, wouldn't it be a threesies? Because it's generally... Bear, Vaughn, and me. Threesies. Oh, then I would say that you just did a menage a trois. Yeah. You know what, Joni? I just did, like, my second menage a trois. Your second? Let's talk about that later. <laughs> Have you ever done a threesies? I think my microphone just broke. It's so <laughs> weird. Oh, it broke, but I can hear you like yeah, perfectly. So weird. Let's get to credits. Okay, was it two guys? My microphone is broken. Two guys, a girl in a pizza place? I do like to go to a pizza place. My microphone is broken, so um, I think you should Was it go you and two credits. gals? I think it's time for the credits. That is a yes, you guys. She got it, and it was clam on clam on clam. It was full on clam chow. <laughs> Manchester by the sea. The So Many White Guys team includes Rachel Neal, Joanna Salataroff, Jim Poyant, Paula Schumann, Isaac Jones, Matt Boynton, Jeremy Bloom, and Joe Plord. Our theme song was written by a white dude and sung by a bunch of other white dudes. So we've doubled up on videos on the WNYC Studio Facebook page this week. Head on over to see me and John early before this hot sausage moves to the City of Angels. I know I'm so sad about it. And also, see Baron Vaughn sing me a song about our black excellence. Don't forget that you can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Dope Queen Babes. YQY. You know what? Yesterday, mm-hmm. International Women's Day. What did you do to celebrate? Oh, you know, watch the craft. <laughs> no, I tried to set some good feminist intentions. And, Ooh. You know, yeah, and I'm just trying to be like more thoughtful about how I'm spending my time and energy. I like that. that. Yeah. So that means like you're bumping up the masturbation. International Women's Day <laughs> in my pants. <laughs> 